WTBRFM, Pittsfield. Welcome to Ham on WTBR, the all-inclusive ham radio show for hams and non-hams alike. Be part of the show. Contact us on www.facebook.com slash hamjamtv. And now the hosts of the show, Peter and Jessica. Ham on. And live from Pittsfield, Mass., from Studio B, this is Ham on. I'm here. Jesse's here. Four inches of rain later. We are live. Live on Wednesday morning. Um, we got a good show today. We got some space weather. And we have uh, something about where we were hit by a solar flare. Like the one that hit in 1813. So um, stick around. Tune in. And uh, we're going to have a good show today. A little, couple of little programming notes. Um, first mm-hmm. off, next Monday... Um, for all you John Lennon fans, we'll be celebrating John Lennon's birthday, his 80th birthday on The Beatles Forever. That's at 4 to 6 p.m. on Monday. And then October 31st is the biggest house party in Berkshire County as WTBR in association with Classic TBR, Oldies 45 and Ham On. Um, we'll have eight hours of a Halloween party via via the radio or virtual Halloween party via the radio so that's something to tune into starting at noon on Halloween day so four inches of rain later again we needed it so we got it alright so we start off with the news and then We'll get into the, the, the show. The ARRL met via telephone with the FCC staff members this week to emphasize its opposition to the FCC notice of proposed rulemaking, the NRPM, in docket 19-348 to delete amateur radio from the 3.3 to 3.5 gigahertz band. Really? The FCC will take final action in the proceeding when it meets on September 30th, which is today. So next week we should have a uh, answer for you. In comments filed earlier this this year, ARRL urged that the secondary status for amateur radio in the band be continued in a series of meetings with the with the commissioner, legal advisors, and staff members. The ARRL explained how continued secondary use by radio amateurs will not impair or devalue use of this spectrum by Future primary licensee, including those intending to provide 5G or other services. ARRL also stressed the various public benefits, public benefit uses of the spectrum by amateurs, including ongoing use of television and mesh networks on the west coast of the U.S. as part of the efforts to contain wildfires. With regard to interface potential, ARRL stated that amateur radio operators using these bands are technically proficient and have a long history of sharing with primary users in this and other bands without causing interference. FCC staff expressed 
concerned that because amateur operations in the band are less clearly defined than those of other services also operating on a non-interference in the band. They would be difficult to locate should interference occur. ARRL Washington Council David Sidow, K3ZJ, noted that Section 97.303, an existing amateur rule, could be amended or used to craft a notification requirement. If the FCC concluded that relying on other methods would be insufficient, the FCC participants indicated that such a requirement in place of deleting the secondary allocation would be given serious considerations. Section 97.303 contains specific frequency sharing requirements for the 2,200 and 630 meter amateur bands. Sadal also pointed that the amateur television network filed an email with the commission that included the letter from the California's Governor's Office of Emergency Services, Cal OES, describing amateur radio's contributions, specifically calling out the need for 3.4 gigahertz access and explaining why other bands are not sufficient. ARRL also argued that in any event, continued operation in the band should be permitted until and at least an actual potential for interface exists in the Pacific Geographic Area. This is a long article. ARRL said that the FCC should not intentionally leave spectrum capacity unused during a build-out period and that Commission's own proposal indicates will, will last for at least 12 years in some areas. The record in the proceeding is now closed. Please be reminded that there can be no calls, emails, or filings to the FCC with regard to issues under consideration until a final FCC report in order and further notice of proposal rulemaking is released. And in conclusion, Your Honor. And in conclusion, Your Honor, release is currently expected to be within a few days after the Commission's September 30 meetings. At that time, ARRL will, will evaluate the impact of amateur radio on the Commission's decisions. <laughs> Consider what further action, if any, may be mentioned, merited. So there, there, there's a, there's a long. Sorry, article to, sorry, Carrie Fisher was channeling. There's a long article to start off with. Um, what, and you dropped the flash drive. Now it's going. So what, what have you got for us? Any conclusion, Your Honor? Before we get into uh, the space weather for today. Which one would you like? Something short after that long one. Let me see. I have Daytona Arena being mentioned. You have one. Venue being demolished. Come on, come on, come on. Precious airtime. Let's go. Chop, chop. Come on. Yeah, hence the novel you were reading. Yeah, well, we don't uh, have any dead air in the middle of it. Former Daytona Hamvention venue, Hera Arena being demolished. Hera Arena, the former Daytona Hamvention and Maria. Uh, Meriden Sports, Entertainment, and other presentations over the years will soon be history. In the wake of a failed attempt to revitalize the tornado damage complex within the complex, 
officials in the city of Trotwood, Ohio, where her, where her arena is actually locate, located, announced plans later to run to raise the complex and rezone the property as commercial, recreation, or light industrial. The complex suffered extensive damage during the two, the 2019 Memorial Day tornado outbreak. The city says. In a new in a news uh, release a few days ago, on the 25th, taking note taking note of hope to some taking notes on hope to salvage the complex. However, redeveloping the property would be a challenge due to the extent of the damage. So a decision was made, and a contract has been secured to demolish. The legendary venue, the city said, the zoning change will allow man, uh, manufacturing, distribute centers, and call centers to establish their business in that area. We are excited what the future holds for this property, uh, said the mayor, Mary McDonald. The Dayton Daily News reported. That the owners of the property said that the iconic marquee spelling out Hara, uh, Hara Arena atop the main area will be preserved and auctioned off at a later date. Uh, with the proceedings going to charity, the complex and the surrounding real estate occupy some 128 acres altogether. Mm. The next uh, hand mentioned is going to be held in the Green County Fairgrounds and Expo Center. That's just messed up. And in six year decade, the arena holds concerts by performers include, including Rolling Stones, The Grateful Dead. It was once also a place where Wayne Gretzky went ahead and played his first professional hockey game. Ooh. So goodbye, Hera Arena. And I guess Xenia will be the, the permanent home. All right, we're going to take the break, and then when we come back, we're going to have a space weather update, plus other stuff. So we got a lot of show to do today, so stick around. You're listening to him on WTBR. WTBR. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> And can me and Olivia and you take me to the zoo? Kids need dads when they're babies. Daddy, can I tell you a secret? I think there's a monster under my bed. When they're little, when they're teens, when they're young adults. Dad, all my friends stay out till midnight. Every minute a dad spends with his kids is important. Dad, I met the most amazing person the other day and I was just wondering... How did you know that Mom was the one? It makes a huge difference to them and to the world they'll grow up in. Dad, should I invest in a CD or a mutual fund? What do you think? Is somebody missing you? It takes a man to be a dad. Call 1-800-790-DADS for more information. A public service message from the National Fatherhood Initiative and the Ad Council. Starting Halloween at noon. 
Leave on the fright side with the hosts of classic TBR, Ham On, and nothing but old 45s for the WTBR Spooktacular, a Halloween musical celebration that plays well into the night. The scariest thing you can do is miss out on the fun. Only on WTBR-FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsburgh Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. What is ham radio? It's the most fun you can have with a radio. Talk to people around the world or even orbiting the world. And you don't need a two-year contract or internet access to do it. Learn about electronics and be of service to your community. ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, has over 2,000 clubs across the country, including this one in your area. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. You have chosen wisely. W-D-B-R. Hi, and we're back. You've got a little story before we go to space weather. Yes, I got a little story to go. You knew we were coming back. Why didn't you have it set up? She never has things set up over here. Because I ran out of coffee and my coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Uh-huh. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, scan TV transmission from ISS planned A. <coughs> Moscow Aviation Institute, MI, MIA 75, slow scan, television, SSTV. Experiment event is planned for today, September 30th, from one thir from 13:05 UTC to 18:45 UTC. Hover can convert UTC. There you go. And thir and Thursday. October 1st from 12.30 UTC to 7, 17.45 UTC, so if you can tell UTC time there. Well, most of them, yeah, we, we, we've got it. 
Uh, it says TV signal. Most hams use UTC, so don't sweat it. SSTV signals will be transmitted on 145.8 megahertz. Uh, I'm guessing that's up. Doppler shift. The experiment, the expected mode will be PD120, and the call sign will be uh, RS. Oh, ISS. Alright. So the ISS is uh, doing some slow scan TV. Yeah. Cool. So you can pick that up. Alright, we're gonna... I figured it would go to space weather because of the special <coughs> space agent. Right. So we segue into our space weather. So yes, here's yes, I this week's space, space weather. weather. And then we will um, be back shortly James after Kaufman, that. James report. Today, it's September 28th, 2020. It's 11.30 a.m. Central here in the U.S. God bless you and yours no matter where you are in the world, folks. Please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell for critical future updates. We've already seen 15 hours of solar storms per the KP index. We've had solar storms of a 4 and 5 via the KP index, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, Boulder, Colorado, USA. We expect heavier storms to actually hit later in the day today, tomorrow, and the following day. This could be ongoing for the rest of the year or maybe even longer. We do expect an uptick in earthquake activity and volcanic activity today, tomorrow, and into the next day at this point. We are facing solar winds and plasma. We have a coronal hole that's actually turning away from Earth finally, but those solar winds are still impacting Earth and will be for several more days. We have sunspots spinning around to face Earth as we will soon see. The surface of planet Earth is intensively charging as you can see up here. We've got hours upon hours, almost the entire day of intense charging on the surface and also heavy charging on the surface as you can see again most every hour of the day we've also see, seen internal charging of earth's core some of the highest charging in one day i have witnessed this is going to have to be dispersed via electric dispersion soon we can see that total dose is ongoingly as high as we can go on the scale Single-dose events are very high as well. You're looking at the 26th, 27th, and 28th of September here, folks. I did want to point out this charging hazard here. I have not seen a red charging hazard here. This is going to be uh, in the central Pacific Ocean, and it's moved up to extremely hazardous. Luckily, I know of no fault lines or plate boundaries in this area, but this will be moving as the Earth turns. NOAA has some problems actually uh, getting to their data today. The links aren't working, etc. I was able to finally get in touch with them. You can see here that they've predicted G2 solar storms for later this evening and also into tomorrow. We've got storms ongoingly for the next three days at least. We've got September 28th, 29th, and 30th, all predicted with solar storm activity. We're currently in G2, moderate storm activity. 
and we continue to see solar storms and will throughout the day today and most of the day, at least tomorrow, along with much of the day on the 30th. All right, folks, we have these sunspots directly facing planet Earth, and they are huge. We have others that are turning around to face the planet. You can see them on the limb here. But these are very worrisome. If any of them throw out a flare, Earth could be actually in some serious trouble. An Earth-facing flare from this large or even this sunspot, which is actually bigger than planet Earth right there, would be a life-changing event. <clears throat> we can just pray that these things continue to rotate, but we have more hazards on the limb rotating to be Earth-facing very shortly. Lasco C3 does appear to be up, folks, but I've never seen the background move so slowly. This is supposed to be over uh, seven, eight hours. Let's see. Well, more than that, folks. It's supposed to be over 10 to 12 hours of time, and the stars in the background are not moving at the speeds they usually would over a 12-hour period. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm sure it's more funky business. All right, let's go to the ACE and take a look. We're on and off above the warning sign with solar storm here activity. When it crosses over the white with the beta, we are looking at tremendous or heavy activity. We see crossovers quite often today. We have seen some lulls in activity, but they say that we're in storm conditions ongoingly. I don't know which data to believe. Everything differs from another. I haven't seen any crossovers lately, but we are headed into G6 conditions according to NOAA's predictions this evening and into tomorrow and even on the 30th. The phi is way down at the baseline, which uh, signifies an intense solar wind connection with the sun. And I think we're seeing that via these Space weather incidents that we've seen. I believe that this is all the coronal hole activity, a coronal mass ejection, solar winds that are hitting us from that large coronal hole that was on the northern pole and also on the equator of the sun. It's actually spun around a bit and is now right facing. Now uh, we do have these sunspots to deal with, and if one of them pops off, it could be very, very critical folks the density is nowhere near what i think it should be it's baselining at almost nothing all day long very worrisome we have missing data now we do have data here for many of the hours that are usually missing which makes no sense again uh, when the data comes back in we have specs that are very high and i can't make any sense of this we also have solar winds that have crossed the 700 kilometer per second threshold here, but they refuse to move the charts to indicate any higher than 700 kilometers per second. I'm afraid they don't want you to know that these are some of the very fastest solar winds that we've seen in some time, if not ever. We don't have a real good reading because I believe that these readings are actually off of this chart or above 700 kilometers per second. The temperature is in dangerous territory. I guess this is associated with the solar winds themselves. Let's continue. Now they've moved the scale up here on the plasma density to 20 
centimeters cubed and i believe that's because there has been an ejection from those sunspots as you can see here they don't have it hitting us they have a intense solar ejection missing planet earth here as you can see we're seeing very low plasma density throughout and it looks like on the fourth or fifth we should be getting impacted by this ejection that looks like it's already occurred they're saying we're going to get lucky and miss this very powerful solar flare that is headed our way as we speak they again show it here another miss this obviously popped off before they were wow that is a powerful one popped off before these sunspots were earth facing now sunspots shoot out solar flares which is plasma where coronal holes the dark places on the sun shoot out coronal mass ejections which is solar winds now sunspots can actually have plasma and solar winds associated with their ejections but the coronal holes just shoot out this coronal mass ejection which is solar winds that are much faster than the winds we normally experience now let's take a look at the uh, solar winds we're up here now the prediction here has it at about 650 kilometers per second we know that it's exceeded today today's the 28th 700 kilometers per second they're taking it down on the models but as you saw just now they're predicting that tonight tomorrow and the following day have intense solar winds associated with them so who's to know what to believe it looks like that we are coming out of some of the most intense solar winds here but then I asked the question, why do they have it upticking back to a KP6 index or a moderate storm here over the next couple of days? What we see here is we're in the middle of the storm, solar wind-wise. It looks like we'll be leaving that around the 30th and into the 1st, only to be hit by this plasma here that you see impacting Earth. Uh, on around the fourth now i'm guessing that there's also solar wind we can see that this here is associated with heavy solar wind also coming our direction and is actually uh, coordinated with the flare up here almost the same timing a little bit later as you see we do not have any real indication from satellite a or b satellite a here does show you this plasma that hits it right here satellite a and it does spike over to about 12 centimeters cubed and we will see that hit earth here on about the fourth or fifth as discussed so we'll see another intense solar storm at that time although we are seeing some spikes in the schumann residence this is a normal residence down here at about 7.83 hertz we are seeing some individual spikes. It is nothing like we saw on the 26th, 25th, and 24th, obviously. I do not know if this means that whatever was approaching us from the rear is actually taking a break or moving away for a short time, but we do see some differences in the Schumann residence, and I believe that this magnetic field is actually affected by the space weather which makes me question what's going on in the rear of planet earth we will take a look at the magnetosphere in a film in uh, an hour or two 
God bless each and every one of you guys. I hope y'all are doing okay. Please share the video. Please subscribe, and I will keep you updated on earthquakes and on the magnetosphere at a later point in the day. God bless. Hey, and we're back here live on Ham on WTBR for a little bit of space weather. Not our usual space weather, but at least you... Uh, you, you, we got some information going. So before we do this other thing I wanted to do, you have something you want to always put out. So surmise and put out. Two uh, well-known ham radio authors and speakers will share their expertise with members in October. During, in, during the ARRL Learning Network webinars, uh, ARRL Contributing Editor Ward Silver and OAX will present ground, Grounding and Bonding for uh, Home uh, HF Stations on Tuesday, October 6th at 10 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time or 1 p.m. E, uh, Eastern Daylight Time or 0500 UTC. There! Hey, I know that 0500 is... Yay! Um, popular author uh, for ARRL K, uh, KW5GP will present uh, welcome to the world, world of our Ardino on Thursday, October 15th at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific Daylight Time or 8 p.m. EDT or 0 UTC on Friday, October 16th. Members must log into the ARRL website. To register for each uh, webinar, then they will be discussing. They will be discussing how to ground your uh, your station. They'll be showing you how to do it electron. How to do electronic safety, lightning protection, and RF management. And it's very very important. To, uh, to know about that, trust me, my co-host has uh, a little expertise on not grounding antennas. Yeah, okay, we, we won't get into that, but... Oh, um, come on! Don't be shy. Um, we, 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 we'll, we'll skip right over that. Don't um, be shy. Is, is, that, is that the end of your story? Yes, don't Good. be shy. Come we on! Will, what? Don't be shy. Be shy about what? Tell them how you want to tell them how I think we've told that story before. Oh, come on. Back in the days of CB. All right, all right, since she's pushing. Back in the days of CB, back in the 80s, I had a uh, dual antenna system. One was uh, mounted, mag mount mounted onto my air conditioning fan, and the other one bolted to the... Uh, wooden back porch um, before I learned about grounding 
And female grounding is important. Female grounding is important. I had, I had a lightning arrest around the back of the uh, radio, so it was kind of grounded. Uh, we had a thunderstorm. I was on the air, of course, because I'm an idiot. And <laughs> watching my meter, watching my meter me needle peak. Uh, my antenna, the one that's bolted to the back porch, got struck. It was nice and red and smoking. The lightning arrestor was toast, but the radio survived. So, yeah, that's a good good thing about grounding. Happy now? See why grounding is important? See why grounding is important? What are you talking to me about? She's looking at me. We don't have cameras here, but she's looking at me. All right. Anyway, moving on before I get tossed under the bus again this morning. But um, I always toss you under the bus. That's, the, that's what our adventure is mostly about. Back in 1839, 1813, there was a corona mass oh, okay. injection that hit this planet. Yes. And I found a uh, TED Talk about it, and I wanted to play it so you know just what happened during that time so we're going to go to that and then we will be back you're listening to him on and wtbr our place in the universe we live in the milky way galaxy which is one of around two trillion galaxies in the observable universe our sun is one of around 100,000 stars in the galaxy. Our sun sits at the center of our solar system with eight planets orbiting around. Our sun drives the weather as we know it and we all love to moan about it. It does that by heating the surface of our planet. Our sun also drives space weather. The sun is continuously emitting streams of charged particles and when these interact with the Earth's magnetic field, space weather is created. Space weather can be beautiful. When these charged particles are deflected by our magnetic field and collide with atoms and molecules in the Earth's atmosphere, beautiful aurora in the form of northern and southern lights are created. Space weather can also be very dangerous. Back in 1859, dark spots were observed on the surface of the sun, and we now know these to be called sunspots. What followed was an ejection, um, a coronal mass ejection, in which billions of tons of particles were directed. Only 18 hours later, they reached the Earth. And this coronal mass ejection caused our magnetic field to be temporarily compromised. The end result, was that telegraph systems across the whole of Nor Northern Europe and America were disrupted. This event became known as the Carrington event. If a Carrington event was to occur today, the global damage to electrical and communication systems could be catastrophic. That's your mobile phone, your tablet, your laptop, your PC, power to your homes, schools, universities, hospital, industry, you name it. All these electrical and communication systems that we depend on so much could be at risk. The Carrington event occurred in 1859, 
And these events are predicted to occur about every 200 years. <coughs> Back in 2012, we had a near miss. The sun ejected a coronal mass ejection which missed us by nine days. So how can we predict these events? We need to understand the processes on the surface of the sun. We know that these coronal mass ejections are linked to sunspots. We know that sunspots contain molecules, more specifically diatomic molecules. These are molecules with two atoms within them. We need to be able to track sunspots. And we know that sunspots, the magnetic field is enhanced within them. So we need a way of tracking this magnetic field within sunspots. The surface of the sun is about 98% hydrogen and helium. But what's really, really fascinating about these molecules that have been found in sunspots is that they contain elements that come across from all across the periodic table, which is in this remaining 2%. So let me tell you about some of these molecules that have been found in sunspots. For example, there is chromium hydride. Chromium hydride is a molecule that I've been working on since 2012. It contains the transition metal chromium and hydrogen joined together to make a diatomic molecule. There's around about 80 of these diatomic molecules that have been observed. So as well as chromium hydride, there's other types of hydrides. There's also carbides, chlorides, fluorides, oxides, nitrides, sulfides, and many, many more. Diatomic molecules containing elements that span the whole of the periodic table. So how can we use these molecules? Every molecule emits a collection of wavelengths. You can think of these like barcodes. Different species emit different barcodes. For example, as is shown here. These barcodes are subject to change. So if you change the temperature, for example, the temperature here, 2000 Kelvin, is in red, is slightly different for a different temperature. If you have a hydride diatomic, this is manganese hydride, which is another of my favorite molecules. If you replace the hydrogen by deuterium, which is a heavy form of hydrogen, you get a shift in this barcode. What's crucial for sunspots is that these molecular barcodes are predicted to shift with magnetic field strength. And this shift in barcode depends on the strength of the magnetic field strength. So therefore, being able to detect these molecules and their barcodes and how they change the magnetic field can tell us about how the magnetic field within a sunspot is changing. And we know that these sunspots are related to these coronal mass ejections. So how do we obtain these barcodes? We do this by calculations. This is high-level quantum chemistry calculations. But these calculations that a computer produces, they're only theoretical. We need experimental data in order to refine them. And this is where young people can and have been involved in this work. Over the last two years, Around 30 students, ranging from A-level to master's level, have helped collect experimental data from published scientific papers. This curated data is then used to refine these calculations, 
which produce these barcodes. So, I'll leave you for thought today. The next time you think about the sun, please don't look directly at it. <laughs> Remember, it's elements, it's diatomic molecules that contain elements from all across the periodic table that one day might help play a role in helping us predict when the next Carrington event might occur. Thank you. All right, so there you have a little bit about the Carrington event. You're listening to Ham on and WTBRFM. Yes. So then we know about the Carrington event. When we come back from the break... Also, hold so astronomer from the astronomers, too. Yes. When we come back I from... I can't English correctly. It's early in the morning. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk FL Digi. Ooh. So stay tuned. You're listening to Ham on and WTBR. Look at him, he's heading for that small moon. That's no moon. It's a station. I think you're right. Fewer than 5 out of 100 people give blood. Ever wonder why they do it? It's the one thing that we can do that we can always afford to do, and hey, you get a snack afterwards, so... Snacks are great. I had never knew my blood type, and I found out in doing this that I'm O negative, so there's that added pressure knowing that everyone can use my blood at any time, and so I feel like uh, it's my responsibility. It's a little extra bragging power, too, knowing that you're a universal giver. Yeah, I'm pretty special. <laughs> Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcrossblood.org to make an appointment today. Well, hello! Hi! Wow, you are looking fabulous! Is that a Gucci handbag? And your shoes are gorgeous! They're Italian leather. This skirt is Chanel, and I treated myself to this Tiffany bracelet, too. Did you get a raise? I wish. No, I got all this and more at Catwalk Boutique. Catwalk Boutique? That's right! I got the Gucci handbag and Chanel skirt at the Great Barrington location, and the Tiffany bracelet at the Lennox store. Well, you have to tell me about Catwalk Boutique! You will love it! It's an upscale resale shop for women. They have something for everyone from casual to designer, and everything in the shop is donated. Best of all, 100% of the proceeds benefit Berkshire Humane Society. <laughs> I think Mitzi approves. I have to check it out. I'm headed there now. Want to join? The shop is dog-friendly, so Mitzi can come too. Oh, absolutely. Catwalk Boutique. The more you shop, the more animals you save. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at catwalkboutique.org. WTBR-FM is listener-supported radio. That means we depend on your donations to keep the station on the air. All the local content and the music you love requires your support. You can make your donation today at WTBRFM.com by calling 445-4234 or stopping by our studio at 4 Federico Drive in Pittsfield. You'd be glad you did. Pittsfield Community Radio, for the love of radio. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Starting Halloween at noon, live on the fright side with the hosts of Classic TBR, Ham On, and Nothing But Old 45s for the WTBR Spooktacular, a Halloween musical celebration that plays well into the night. 
the scariest thing you can do is miss out on the fun. Only on WTBR-FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. We ain't the best. Bummer. But we sure sound like it. We're bringing you the best mix of music. So get focused. WTBR. And we're back on WTBR-FM in a rainy, drizzly, four inches of rain here in Pittsfield, Mass. It's Studio B. We are live here at 9 a.m. We needed the rain. Why are you complaining? I'm not. All right, so we're going to go and do this. Yes, it happens you know, every Wednesday, it, but come on. For, for like a year, whether it rains or not. Uh, either rain or snow, it's a good thing we're not at the studio where we're actually at Studio B at home doing this. So in our ongoing series about digital modes, because there's more to ham radio than just talking on the radio, there's digital modes. Uh, we talked about FT8 a little bit. We talked about satellites a little bit. So now we're going to talk about FL Digi, and this is a big thing for Aries. Um, Aries um, is going to be using FL Digi a lot, so we're going to give you a little. Explain a little Aries uh, Amateur Radio Emergency Service is the volunteer service. I think we've explained it time and time again. Yeah, I know, but come on now, you have to go in. For going out in disasters and getting deployed and and assisting with the Red Cross and the Salvation Army and and stuff like that. It's a good thing to join if you want to join Aries. By the way, we'll drop this. Just drop an email to uh, Dave W one Triple T at ARRL dot net, and he will uh, get you set up on that. And if you have any questions about any of this stuff and want to be a net control station, um, because we need net control stations too for cycle one, cycle two, the ARRL Western Massachusetts Good traffic. Good thing I told you to talk about at it. One thirty and four, uh, one one p.m. and four thirty, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is now. Uh, drop me an email, kd2jkv at gmail.com. So we're going to go and do this and hope I have enough time to do it. If not, we'll finish it next week. But here's a little uh, tutorial on. FL Digi. Are you a ham radio operator getting into digital sound card modes like PSK31, radio teletype, or something more exotic? This video describes downloading and setting up the popular and free FL Digi sound card software for your station. I'm Dave Kassler, amateur radio call sign KE0OG, and welcome to Ask Dave, episode 26, continuing our discussion of HF digital modes. This episode is focused on the digital sound card software called FL Digi. We'll look at downloading it, installing it, and provide an overview of getting it to work with your radio. Fundamentally, there are four elements to a digital ham radio station. The computer, the sound card, the software, and the radio. I talked about the general theory in Ask Dave episode 25. 
There are many software packages out there for doing HF digital modes. A very popular one that is free is FLDigi, otherwise known as the Fast Light Digital Modem Application. It was developed by Dave Fries, W1HKJ, and is updated and maintained by Dave and a team of developers. My hat is off to them. FLDigi is a top-notch application for a wide range of digital modes. So let's dive right into it. Go to Google and do a search on FLDigi. Choose the link to www.w1hkj.com. Here's the main FLDigi page. There are many things of interest here, but first let's go to the downloads. Like many free software products, the actual files are available via SourceForge, so click here to go to SourceForge. Here's what you'll see at SourceForge. Note the link that gives the so-called latest version. Before you click on it, though, let's look at the directory structure underneath. The first is the alpha tests directory. An alpha test in computer lingo means a version that's ready for people to test and play with, but it isn't a fully stable production version. Let's take a peek inside the alpha tests directory. We see here the latest versions that have been released for alpha testing. These will eventually become production versions, but aren't yet. So let's go back up a level. Here's that directory structure again. Note FLDigi. Let's see what's in there. Okay, here's the folder that has the production software, meaning that these versions have been tested and are stable. Note that the word stable doesn't mean crash-proof, but they're pretty good. There are a bunch of versions here. The one we want for the Windows operating system is the top one that has setup in its name. So, we'll follow standard Windows procedures. A single click will do. SourceForge makes us wait several seconds while it flashes advertisements at us. And then this Windows screen appears. I'm using Windows 10 here. I've created an FLDigi folder in my Downloads folder as a place to put the setup file. I download it and note that it's more current than the version I had on my laptop. At this point, use the standard download procedures for your computer. You download the file. Your antivirus software will examine the downloaded file and must accept it as OK. Double-click on it. Once you've installed it, it will put a shortcut on your desktop. Here's what you get when you open FLDigi. <laughs> Lots of little boxes and some big areas. This big one is where you will see the received text. The bluish area is where you type text that will be sent. These buttons along here are customizable macros that send a block of text with just the push of a button or a mouse click. This area under here is the waterfall, where we find actual signals that are on the air. And over here is a little signal scope that tells us about the signal we're receiving. But before we can use any of this, we need to configure the software. The very first time you run the software, it will walk you through the configuration steps. 
please be patient as you set up the software because it'll be different for every sound card and radio out there. I can go through the general steps, but you'll need to apply them to your situation. Here's another example of why it's a good idea to belong to a local amateur radio club, as you'll be able to tap into the expertise of those who have done this before. As I mentioned in Ask Dave 25, there are lots of ducks here and they all need to be in a row. The very first thing you'll need to do is click on the configure button. It shows lots of options. As it happens, they're all available on the same screen. So click on the operator menu item. Here's what pops up. Note that there are lots of options across the top row. The first screen is for the operator. Insert your call sign in all caps, your name, your location, or QTH, and a couple other optional fields, your Maidenhead grid locator, in my case DM68CG, and my antenna, a Butternut HF9V ground-mounted vertical. The next step is to point FLDigi at the correct sound card. This step is critical. Click on Audio and then on Devices. For Windows, click on Port Audio. The Capture Sound Card is the one that receives the audio from the radio's line out. Your USB sound card will appear in this list and will likely show up as a microphone. Now the next one, called Playback, is the one that outputs sound that will go to the radio's line in. Now, while still under Audio, click on Right Channel. You may have to play a bit with this, but in the meantime, click on modem signal on left and right channels. I had to do this for my radio, and you likely will have to also. Now, we approach the potentially tricky challenge of rig control. There are two aspects of this. First, being able to tell the rig when to go into transmit and when into receive. Note that you don't absolutely have to do this, as you can set up the rig's Vox system to put the rig into transmit whenever it hears the tones from the sound card output. But I prefer that the software do the transmit determination and use the rig's push-to-talk system properly. Second, the other reason you can use rig control is that the software can actually control the radio for such things as frequency, mode, etc. I prefer this, and I've achieved it with my FTDX3000, but it took me quite a bit of experimentation to get it right. Be particularly patient here if you want this feature to work. Still in the configuration menu, select Rig, then go to Hamlib for the Ham library. Select the button that says Use Hamlib. Use the drop-down list to pick your radio. Note that you'll need also to select the device that controls your radio, usually a COM port, or if it's USB, it'll be a virtual COM port. You need to set the baud rate and stop bits that work with your radio. Again, be prepared to experiment, as this is the step that can be the most challenging. I point out the tab that says XML-RPC, which is computer jargon for connecting with another piece of software. As it turns out, 
there's companion software called FLRIG, and if you install that, it may make rig connections easier. As it turns out in my case, I needed to use it. You may not need to. As it turns out, you can't easily set audio levels inside of FLDigi like you can in some other programs. So, you will need to use the Windows method for setting levels for your sound card. You need to do this for the incoming sound from the radio's line-out connection to the sound card microphone connection. And you'll need to do this for speaker out, which goes to your radio's line in. The levels are set using Windows. Click on Start and then simply type the words Control Panel. Windows 10 will find the desktop app named Control Panel. Click on this. This brings you to the control panel. Yours may be organized differently from this. You can select the view as small icons. The one we want is sound. Click on it. Okay, note the menu across the top. Playback and recording are the two we're interested in. It defaults to playback and listed are the audio output devices attached to your computer. The top one is my normal laptop sound card and is selected as the default device. We'll leave it as the default device. The bottom one is the sound card. Alright, time is, is going to get us here, so we'll have to finish that next week. We'll, uh, we'll put that on the list to finish that next week, but basically he's just telling you how to set up FL Digi. By, by you get to that point, the rest is fairly, fairly simple. And that's uh, the rest of the story. That's the rest of the story. So, really quick, while we're in the last couple of minutes of the show here, um, please donate to WTBRFM. Um, you can go to the website or the yeah the webpage WTBRFM.com, and or you can call the station and put in a donation to help keep shows like this and and our our big Halloween extravaganza on the air. Um, we are listener-supported radio, like we always say, so yes. make sure you tune into that. Uh, the net's going on here in Western Mass, uh, Western Mass Traffic Net, 1 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. on K1FFK. That's 146.91 with a PL of 162.2. And at 10 p.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, the Heavy Hitters Traffic Net. You can always uh, check into that. That's uh, uh, Commonwealth-wide. We we're connected right into Boston, so that's good. Um, also, remember uh, Beatles Forever on Monday... Yeah. The uh, John Lennon birthday extravaganza. If you're yes. a big John Lennon fan, this is the show for you. Um, we'll do all all John's music from the Beatles through his solo career, through Double Fantasy and and uh, um, Milk and Honey and, and stuff like that. So enjoy that. October 31st, the big house party. Uh, WTBR-FM presents the Halloween Spooktacular with the guys from Classic TBR, um, Oldies 45, and Hamon. We have an eight-hour block um, of Halloween music. Some stuff you've heard before, some stuff you probably will never hear again. So, on behalf of the cast and crew of, w, of uh, Hamon and WTBR-FM... 
We say 73. And we will Peace be out. here next week. Stay cool. Stay dry. And stay safe. And we'll talk to everybody next week. 73, everybody. Bye, everybody.